This podcast is designed for anyone currently with kids or considering becoming a parent. Created to inform, inspire and support you on your parenthood journey. And so, from an in-depth psychotherapeutic understanding of current child development, we bring you Parenting the Next Generation. How not to fuck up your kids. Hello and welcome to Parenting the Next Generation, How Not to Fuck Up Your Kids with me, Katie Goldfinch and Kitty Hagenbach. Hi, Katie. Hi, Kitty. So Kitty is a psychotherapist extraordinaire and has all of the wisdom when it comes to family. And I myself am considering having children. So in previous episodes, we've been talking about the why, preparing to have a baby, birthing, and now about the first year. So coming home with your baby for the first time. Kitty, what is it like when you get home with your baby? Well, it can be absolutely wonderful. It might be a bit daunting. It depends on your circumstances and your situation, but um, hopefully all is going very well. And it's an opportunity to get to know your baby. All babies are different. And if it's your first baby, you haven't had any opportunity to get to know a new baby. So it's about being in wonderment. It's about responding to the baby's needs. And in my view, you can't spoil a baby in the first year of life. Their needs need to be attended to because they can't do almost anything for themselves. We have spoken about keeping external family out at this stage so that you have really precious time in your dyad or your triad to really form that deep connection that's really important at this stage. Yeah, sometimes people freak out when I suggest that they take some time just the parents and the baby to be together, to get to know each other, to just get into a rhythm and not have the outlaws and the in-laws and all the friends who think they ought to be there for whatever time you really want. People are very scared to ask for this time from their grandparents of the baby. I've had so many people come back to me and said, thank you so much for advising that because they had this precious time. It might be a few days. If you're in the Ayurvedic tradition in India, you'll have a month. But in that case, the extended family come and look after you their mother and father and baby are in one room with other children if they're there and all the cooking and the, the housework is looked after which is incredible to have that month together but each day that you have will be precious so take a little bit of time plan that beforehand having spoken to your extended family explain why there is really no rush for the outside world to come in but the time that the baby can have to settle into this new routine this new life this new experience to get to know his or her parents, to be able just to be, because babies know how to grow. And what they need is warm, consistent care and a sort of rhythm to the day. But you will need to get on the baby schedule rather than the baby get onto your schedule. Now, a lot of people want the baby to get onto their schedule, but that's too big an ask for a young baby, I think. Mm. And one of the topics that comes up a lot is leaving a crying baby. It's got to be the most contentious topic of this phase. What are your thoughts on that? I think that crying babies need to be held. You don't have to jump always immediately in the first squeak because sometimes children have a bit of a grizzle and they go back to sleep again. But don't leave crying babies to cry alone because they can't do anything for themselves other than call you like that. So when you pick up your baby and you talk to babies, they love to be spoken to and to say, hi, you know, how are you? There's something, something you need. And then you check the obvious things, which maybe they're hungry, maybe they've got a dirty nappy. And if it's nothing that you could understand, but the baby's still crying, 
then talk to me and say, wow, there's something going on. I don't really know what it is, but I'm right here. I'm going to look after you and you're completely safe. So really get into the way of talking to babies, not long, 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 long chats, but just little short pieces and naming what's happening and naming what you're going to do. Right now, I'm going to change a nappy. Because things like changing a nappy give you a moment of possible connection. Some people are changing nappies saying, oh God, it's so smelly, it's so dirty, it's awful. That's a waste of an opportunity to connect. Whereas you can tickle the tummy, you can change the nappy, it's no big deal. And you can be in that connection and be playful. Babies like you to play. Mm. I've heard as well, it doesn't really smell that much in the first year. Is that true? I think it depends what the baby's eating and when, when you change the nappy. But early nappies are very liquidy. It's not very much um, the texture at all at that point, And that's often green and all sorts of things. It's just a natural thing. It's not a wrong thing, you know, it's a natural thing. But I think that, you know, it can be really difficult if your baby's very disturbed and crying a lot, a lot, a lot, then it's time to think about other things like, why is my baby crying so much? Because perhaps it's a birth trauma from the birth. You know, you need to see a cranial osteopath or something. Maybe there's something actually hurting them in their body. People talk a lot about colic. I don't know what I believe in colic. I think it's more to do with stress. And of course, if the parents are stressed, the baby will be stressed. And that's a problem. And we live in a stressful world, which is why to try to calm everything down and at least initially make the baby important and make your partner important. Mm. Both important to do that because the baby needs the mother and the father or the other mother or the two fathers or whoever's parenting the two parents to actually have a good relationship. And that needs looking after. And sometimes when the baby arrives, everything gets sent to the baby and there's not enough for each other. Mm. So it's important that you also make space to take care of each other and are kind and loving to each other. Mm. And it seems as though you need compassion for yourself because if a crying baby is getting to you, which I'm sure it would do if it's been going on for some time, taking responsibility for that, maybe passing the baby to someone else or popping them down and just saying, mummy's going to take a moment here or daddy's going to take a moment Mm. to step outside, but I will be back. Yeah, try to keep regulating your own system. That means calming your own system down because if you're getting stressed the baby will not be able to calm down. So the baby is unable to calm itself down. It needs another calm adult. So you're much better to ask somebody else to hold your baby while you go and take a breath and calm down and just ask yourself what's going on for you and what do you need. It might be the proverbial cup of tea, whatever. But it is incredibly stressful if you're looking after a baby that is disturbed. And it's also exhausting because the sleep deprivation when you have a baby is a very real thing. You need to go to sleep when your baby goes to sleep. So you leave the washing up, it doesn't matter, but take some sleep because at the beginning, your baby will feed very, very often. Ideally, you'll breastfeed because it's a much more natural, healthy and bonding experience. Much easier, much quicker, no sterilizing bottles, etc. You can pump breast milk and somebody else can feed the baby. Most babies will, I think, both be able to take it from the nipple and the bottle. Some absolutely refuse. But, you know, the thing is, you need to get to know your baby. Your baby is unique. Everyone in this world is unique. And they've all come on a unique journey. We're all on a unique journey. So, you know, it's a massive adjustment when you used to be able to do what you want, when you want and how you want. It's a massive adjustment. But it doesn't mean life has to stop entirely, you know. You know, young babies are very portable. It's good to put them on your front in a sling with a baby facing into the mother, not a young baby facing out to all that energy from the world, but cuddled in. And you can go off and do stuff and you can go out for meals. You can do all sorts of stuff. 
But if you're breastfeeding, you can just breastfeed wherever you are. It's really try to move into a really more natural groove with this. It's been overthought in all directions, I think. Mm. Breastfeeding is a really great opportunity for bonding as well, isn't it? Providing you enjoy it, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. If you don't enjoy it, what would you advise? Well, I think if you really hate breastfeeding, that's not a very positive message is it, to your baby. I'd ask yourself, why do you hate it? What is it about? Were you breastfed? Were you not breastfed? The more you know about your own early life will help you to know where you might meet some difficulties. But the other thing about breastfeeding is when you are breastfeeding, please don't watch television or be on your phone because you may as well not be present if you're watching TV or on your phone or other device. It's a moment where you can come into connection. And these connections are going to help your baby to make good brain connections, which will last for their entire life. So this is an investment. This is a really, really wonderful investment. Mm. And is it the first few days that your breast milk is blue? It's a colostrum. It's not really blue. It's clear, transparent. Right. And that colostrum has got antibodies and all sorts of very, very nutritious content. And, um, you know, breastfeeding doesn't necessarily come easily. If you have difficulty with it, please get help because there's lots of help to be had. Um, As I said in a previous episode, if your breasts are sore, the important thing is to have a Savoy cabbage in your fridge and put a nice cool leaf of that cabbage inside your bra and it really cools down the overheated breast because it's a bit painful to start breastfeeding. But it's so worthwhile from so many ways to continue to make the effort to do that. Personally, I absolutely loved it. There's nothing more delicious than beholding your baby and breastfeeding. It's the most natural, lovely, bonding, warm, cozy feeling. Mm. But use it also as a moment to bond further and more deeply. And is it a moment you can invite your partner to come in and sort of share in that juicy sort of triad-y vibe? Absolutely. So breastfeeding obviously happens from the breast. You can express from the breast. And is that something that you can then ask your partner to help you with? Definitely, yes. I mean, they can help, you know, depending on the breast pump, they can help you with the expressing or you means that you can um, leave a bottle and your partner can look for the baby and they can feed the baby and you can go and have your hair done or whatever you want to do. Go and have a coffee with a mate. You need to have a life as well. So, you know, at first, I think really sort of in a way, three months disappears before you can do very much at all, I think, because it's such a big adjustment. And a lot of people have asked me about having, you know, maternity nurses and night nurses and stuff like that. I don't recommend that at all. I recommend a doula if you want some help because they will look after the mum so the mum can look after the baby if you have in the old-fashioned way, which a lot of people still do, um, they have a maternity nurse at night who looks after the baby. It means that the baby is looked after by the nurse and not bonding with you. So even though it's hard for you to get up in the night, it's important to get up in the night with your baby. In the first six months, you need the baby in your room, possibly in your bed, if you feel secure with that. Providing you don't have an overheated room and you haven't been drinking or smoking or taking any drugs, your baby will be quite safe in the bed. You want some light bedclothes. You're not going to roll over and crush them, but it's so easy and it's the most natural thing in the world to co-sleep. And, you know, we parent from a mammalian perspective and um, it's the mammalian brain that is developing the baby to start with. And so, you know, if you look at little puppies, how they sleep, they're all cuddled up together. It's the most natural thing in the world to, to sleep together. Mm. I've heard about people worrying they're going to roll over in their sleep and squash their baby. 
Does that ever happen? It doesn't really happen. But what does happen is that people think they can't feed the baby in bed. They've got to get up and they go to the sofa and they feed the baby in the sofa and mum falls asleep and the baby falls down in the crack in the sofa. And then there has been fatality doing that. Oof. And do you have to be careful of what you consume when you're breastfeeding? I think so. I remember um, when I was training in the pre and perinatal world, I was watching Ray Castellino, who's a master at working with um, young children and mothers. And um, I think the baby was in a lot of pain in their guts, but the mother was eating almost a macrobiotic diet and it was just too indigestible for the baby. So I think, you know, probably not very spicy food and not too much uh, roughage. But again, you know, <laughs> roughage. <laughs> what do you mean by roughage? Beans and, you know, lentils and too much brassica and all of that stuff. It's quite indigestible. A lot of vegetarian food can be quite indigestible if it's got too many beans, too many pulses. Mm. And a baby's system is very, very, very delicate. Mm. But if you notice that your baby's having tummy ache and stuff, then change your diet. Mm. What about coffee? I suppose to a minimum, you know, I don't think you have to be too rigid about something, but I think the occasional coffee here and there, but it is quite a strong toxic flavor. And also, you know, alcohol is not ideal either when you're breastfeeding, but more dangerous, I think, would be allopathic drugs. Mm. You know, so I think what you put into your body will be passed to your baby. So just use your common sense. But if you're absolutely gasping for a coffee, have one occasionally, Mm. but have a decaf. Have a decaf. So let's talk about communication and play with your newborn. Babies love to play. They're communicating. So from the moment they're born, they can see in focus from your nipple to the to your face. So they want to see your face. They want to see your delight in them. And if you are delighted, well, that's wonderful because the baby's going to read this. And um, Alison Gopnik, who's a scientist, talks about babies being scientists and they're making causal maps So what it is, they're looking at you to see what are you mirroring back to them and what are they going to learn about themselves. So obviously, if you're enjoying parenting and um, this is all going very well, they love to be playful. They will play. They'll mimic you. There's an incredibly difficult thing to watch on YouTube called Still Face, and it's about a mother playing with a baby, and then she's instructed to turn away. And you'll just watch that and you'll see what happens to babies when the mother just cuts off. I can hardly bear to watch it. But it's a very useful thing to watch. So playfulness is great. You know, take every opportunity when you're when you're with your baby to be playful. They love it. I mean, that's lovely energy of play. Mm. And you get your own childhood to relive a little bit, or you get a second attempt at childhood. Definitely. You know, they say it's never too late to have a happy childhood, but you definitely can reconnect to your own early life and fill in the gaps. I would imagine it's quite an important time to to nourish and nurture your relationship with your partner. It will be the first time that you're, well, it might not be the first time, but it could be the first time that you don't have undivided attention for one another. What would you advise to people at this stage? I think this is a super important conversation because um, when a baby comes into a family, there is stress on the family because this baby needs to be looked after, parents are tired, There's definitely a loss of sleep and there is a loss of availability to one another. So I think at the very beginning, you really want to make the baby the center of your attention because they need it the younger they are. 
but don't exclude your partner. And part of including your partner is to include the other parent, you know, and give the other parent a lot of access to the child. Because a lot of women who've carried their babies, they don't want to hand them up to anybody. And they don't even want the partner to have time with the baby. So be generous with the baby. Babies would prefer to spend most of the time with the mother because it's a continuum of what's happened before. And mothers have different energies than fathers. So it's um, important to find out in your time how you're going to have some time together. So babies do sleep quite a lot and make it a priority to spend some time together and check out with each other and be kind and loving to each other. Um, I think that's very important. And quite often the mother falls in love with the baby to such an extent that the father feels very excluded. And that can be definitely a problem, especially if the father's had you know, some early life uh, deprivation in some way. And what would you be looking out for there? If there's some kind of fallout or lack of attention and maybe the partner is struggling to communicate that or doesn't feel like there's space to communicate that, what are the telltale signs? Well, getting snippy with each other, having arguments. I think really distressing for a baby that their parents argue in their vicinity. If you have arguments, you better be in another room. Sometimes mothers may stop working and be at home and fathers may continue working and mothers think, oh, well, my life is ruined and it's completely stopped and I'm a prisoner in my house and the father's life hasn't changed at all. So it's important that you, as a mother, you create a life for yourself as well if you're going to be home for a while, which is important to be home for a while. But go out and find people and find your tribe and have some life for yourself. But also really make time in the relationship for each other and make that important over other things like housework. Mm, yeah, so prioritizing each other and also recognizing it's a major adjustment for you both, even if one of you is still going out to work. So let's talk about the support for the partner because the partner will be having a different experience to the mother in most cases. So I know that you've got an interesting case study to share. Let's talk about that. Well, this is, um, I think, something to share because it might surprise people. So I set up a program called Babies Know with uh, my obstetrician, um, Yehudi Gordon, who is a very well-known consultant obstetrician. And he told this story on the course. And uh, I always loved him to tell the story because I think it was such a, a, a clear example of what can happen and how surprisingly things happen. And when his first daughter was born, whom he was delighted to be having a, a child, he went off to make a cup of tea, leaving his wife and baby in bed. When he came back into the bedroom, he suddenly was hit with an absolute rage about how dare that child be there with his wife. And he went berserk. And I can tell you he had a good way of going berserk. He went completely berserk. And then he thought, my God, I'm going mad. What is this? What am I doing? Um, so he took himself off to try to understand what was going on for him. And what he understood was going on for him is that when he was born, he had a very traumatic birth, probably why he became an obstetrician. He almost died. He was in an incubator. And then his mother dropped into postnatal depression for two whole years. So he suddenly had that rage of seeing his little daughter, his gorgeous little daughter, getting what he never got. So this is a completely unconscious experience, mm. which he then brought to consciousness and was able to resolve. Shocking for his wife as well. So I think when a partner's having a very strong response, whether it's uh, anger or disconnect from the baby or depression, have some compassion 
for what might be going on. Like think more deeply rather than blaming. How dare you get angry like that? It's not going to help because actually that was an absolutely uncontrollable impulse. It just happened. Mm. And I would imagine it's taking responsibility for that as well. Noticing something's going on for you. Okay, this is about me. I need to take myself away and I need to have a think about that. And having compassion for each other in those moments as well, because as we've spoken about in previous episodes, I think it's 8% of yourself is conscious. So there's a great deal that is unconscious. And if anything's going to bring anything up, it's having a baby. And so allowing space for whatever comes up to air and, and for those who need to deal with it, to deal with it in the way that they need to. Yeah. And in this way, your children are your teachers because we can learn more about ourselves from the way in which we respond to them. You know, so we're both mirroring back and forth all the time and some of it's uncomfortable. But as the grown-ups, we have the capacity to deal with it. The babies haven't got the capacity. The brain is very unwired when they're born. There's, very, there's a lot of brain development to come. And during this first year of life, there's an exponential amount of brain wiring going on in the frontal cortex that sets us apart from animals. But it's not wired up. And so babies don't have impulse control, for instance. You know, they can't manage things. They don't know how to regulate themselves. They need a calm adult through whom they can regulate. So if a baby's very upset and the parent or the carer gets very upset, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. So it's only the adult who can actually stop that unless the baby just gets so tired, they stop. In a, you know, so keeping ourselves in good shape. So parents need to find some space and time to support themselves, to exercise or whatever they need to do. And that's where you need support from family, from friends, from somebody. It's so important to have support. Absolutely. So that you can, in a sense, hold on to a part of your identity, because I imagine that's a big shift for people, is to adjust to suddenly having a baby that needs all of their attention. They've left their work, their life as it was before. How do you manage that in the first year, if it's your first child, of course? I don't think you can give your child all of your attention. I think when you're with a baby, it's great to be as present as you can be. But babies sleep and also somebody else can look after them from time to time so that, you know, you have also some attention for yourself and it's about resourcing yourself, really. There is a big adjustment in the identity, but I think the biggest thing is just to resource yourself well enough that you have enough sleep, that you can eat well enough, that you can exercise well enough or do the things you love enough. But this is all about balance. So time disappears at an extraordinary rate when you have a child to look after. And so we've been used to being able to do what we want whenever we want, and that's a massive change. So I think it's about being quite practical, about you know making some space, about recognizing that parents both have needs and uh, trying in some way to meet them. Now, you won't be able to do all the stuff you did before. You know, you won't have the sort of importance about your work. Maybe if you're taking time out, that can be a, a very big challenge and people can lose confidence very quickly. But actually, you haven't changed. Your day-to-day -day life has changed. But it's very important that you find other people to interact with. Mm. I'm sure it's quite overwhelming. It can be quite confusing if all of these unconscious emotions are starting to arise. There are many different reasons for people falling into postnatal depression. Have you worked with postnatal depression? I have. It's something very real. It's not really fully understood, I think. In the past, postnatal depressions were separated from their babies, which made things worse for everybody. 
I'm remembering when I was very early in my practice, that's nearly 30 years ago, a woman came to see me with a baby that was so distressed, crying, 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 crying. And um, nothing she could do would calm this baby down. And she was sort of trying to talk to me at the same time. And then after about 15 minutes, she said to me, I think I might be a bit postnatally depressed. And in that moment, the baby stopped crying, absolutely went out like a light, because now she was taking ownership of her depression and it was no longer the baby's responsibility. Mm. And she had support, of course, from me. Yeah. And so often it's about taking responsibility. So if you're having an experience that might be problematic for the baby, it's calling it and saying, hey, I'm having a little moment here. I'm just going to pass you to so-and-so, or I'm just going to pop you here. I'm going to be back. I'm going to go and scream into a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> you don't really have to explain the screaming as a pillow, but you might go and do that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, you can't be superhuman. And um, so you've got to just remember you're about being good enough now. Sometimes babies come in and they take over all the oxygen in the family you know, and a baby will naturally just settle into the family if the family is calm, if there's a rhythmical lifestyle. But it's just about learning about how to meet this particular baby, what really works, what doesn't work. And it's not going to be one size fits all. And by all means, don't consider, you know, an approach about, you know, setting your baby on a schedule that's going to suit you. They're not washing machines. You don't just program them. Mm. There was a book written by Gina Ford that was about the contented little baby. And in my view, that was a really harmful book because it made babies into machines and they were put on schedules that were rigid. And Gina Ford had never had a baby. She was in her parents' bed till she was 12. So this was a lot of her own unresolved issues. And I think she's since said, I'm sorry, actually, that was that was not a good thing to do. But it suited people who like to know where they stand. People who like to be in control. She said, you do this and then you do that and then you do this, all to do with timing and rigidity. And it suited some people because it took them out of the confusion. And sometimes we just don't know what's best to do, but we do something. Yeah, we figure it out. We learn. Mm. Yeah, Gina Ford is often referenced and lots of people strongly disagree with what she advised but some people still adopt that approach and I would imagine as you say it's for those who like to stay in control but also see their babies as projects so it's good to look out for that hey definitely because it's really more about the parent if they want the baby to be in this rigid schedule because you know it's more confusing to be in a sort of a rhythm I think is really important so you know for babies and young children they like a rhythm they like to know what's coming next. They like to feel that they can feel safe and relaxed in a warm, secure environment. That's what they really need. With a calm, warm care, a warmth is a very important piece. And, you know, if somebody drops into postnatal depression, they need help. Because in my view, and this is not the medical model, this is my view in my working with people, it's that our early life issues get reflected back to us when we're holding a little fully dependent, vulnerable little baby. Our own vulnerability comes to the fore and it can be completely overwhelming. It can be incredibly serious. And for a baby, if the mother's postnatally depressed, even if they're functioning and they're doing, you know, all the sort of the, the caring, the feeding, the cleaning, etc., they may as well not be there other than to keep the baby alive because there's actually lights on, nobody home. So the baby can't make a contact with you. So then they often disassociate at that point as well because they can't reach you if you're depressed. So get some help. Mm. 
Definitely. And it's a very real thing, but you might also in the preparation phase think about, is this a likelihood? Did I have a depressed mother? Might that have come through to me? It does follow down through families because if you've had a depressed mother, then you yourself are going to be a very sort of alone baby. And then all that might come through again, because now you're going to remember that at an unconscious level. So it's a bit complicated about the unconscious, but, you know, babies are working at the unconscious level and their memory is implicit, not explicit. There's no explicit memory until you're after two. So what they do is they feel everything with their bodies. So if a baby is hungry, they don't feel hungry, they are hunger and they can't wait. They haven't got any potential, they can't wait. So you need to be ready to feed a baby at any moment. They just can't wait. They don't have that capacity. The brain's not wired for that. And I presume they don't understand that it might be coming. They no. think it's, <laughs> you know, a life or death situation. And so they'll cry until they get it. I think there's only now with the baby. Mm. Mm. So for some people, this will be a beautiful phase. But for some people, it might be the scariest phase. For those who are struggling to attach or find that bonding with their baby, other than getting help, what sort of little tricks can they try? I think it's for them to do something for themselves that they enjoy that helps them to calm down a little bit. So we've spoken before about bonding is the first hour after birth is the most ideal time to bond because the oxytocin is flowing and then it continues to flow, but it gradually becomes less of a flow. So the early connection, if there's going to be no separation and the bond can be strong, it's brilliant. The bond, however, can break. So if you go back to work, it's very likely the bond breaks and the baby will bond with whoever cares for them. Now, the attachment is a slightly different piece here. And the attachment is that babies have to have a relationship with the parent, ideally with the mother, but with the parent. It might be with the foster mother. They've got to attach to somebody. And according to how they feel about that person, they'll either attach if it's a good, secure bond and everything is kind of calm and they can just be in a normal flow of life, they can attach securely, which is the best thing you can do. Because all of this attachment stuff shows up in our intimate relationships throughout our life. They may feel ambivalent about the relationship they have with the parent. So they'll only partly attach like I do and I don't want this connection. Or they can attach in an avoidant way, which is they still have to have the relationship, but they will not want very much from that parent. They'll arch their back, they'll look away, they won't be comforted by the parent. And there's eons of stuff written and talked about by attachment, but I think it's common sense, really. If you're able to be present for your baby, your baby will attach very well. If you're able to be present, the bond can be there. And you can't be present 100% of the time, but if you can do it enough, so you'll notice in what way your baby responds to you and keep looking into yourself and think, okay, so am I really present or actually am I off somewhere else right now? Hmm. I'm aware of attachment needs in relation to romantic relationships. The idea of that beginning in your early life is really cool. Do you think that the way that you are in relationship in your life is a key indicator as to how you will relate to your baby if you have one? Uh, good question. I think that how you are in your relationship life as an adult and in your intimate relationships particularly will be an indication of how you were with your mother. I think it depends on how much you understand yourself and how much you heal as to whether that might carry on to the next generation. But a lot of these patterns, if you don't explore them, just carry on to the next generation. So it's very likely that it will carry on. So it's a watch point. 
The other thing to know, which is um, a bit of a, a shocking bit of news, I think, is that our relationship with our mothers is the template for all our relationships in our life. It's the thing we base our relationships on. Mm. So it really matters how we related to our mothers. Mm. And so if you're entering into parenthood, have a look at that. But also, if it was problematic, there's always an opportunity to make a difference in that area. Definitely, definitely. There's an opportunity to make a change. I think before we become parents, it's very helpful to know about our early life and to look at what might be difficult, what might be great, because a lot of it's great to bring that positive forward, but also a lot of it's not great. And you're likely to bring that forward unless you stop and question yourself and do something about it. Mm. So first year, there's lots to look forward to. There's lots to look out for. For those who have to go back to work, what would you advise them? Do they find someone who's the next best caregiver that they know to mind their baby? I think that depending on what the choices you've got, it would be ideal if somebody was in your home, looking after the baby in your home. It's about that person being warm and secure and safe, obviously. If you can't have somebody come in your home or a grandparent can't take on the job or something, then I would suggest going to a child minder where there's going to be maybe five children of different ages and that the baby will be looked after by the same person every day and bond with that person and um, have the sort of stimulus of the other little kids around. Nurseries can be really hard for babies because it's a very stressful place. And what they've understood is that the saliva of a baby who's been in a nursery has much more cortisol. The cortisol is a stress hormone. And also for the parents, I think it's extremely hard to take your baby to a nursery, come back and pick them up. And then you've got to go home and you've got to do all the domestic stuff and try and get your baby to bed. And they often don't want to go to sleep because they want you. So it's tough if you have to go back to work. Sometimes there are more choices. I think it can be harder to be at home looking after a baby or a small child than being at work. But sometimes there is a choice to stay home. And I think if you can make the choice, we're back to the good investment. It's really helpful. So a childminder is a very good solution. Mm. And consistency in who's looking after them and where. And I would imagine taking responsibility for it or acknowledging it with your baby. You know, mummy's had to go out to work. I'm sorry, it wasn't what I planned, but it's the way things are, but I'm here now kind of thing. Yeah, it's good to sort of just say a little bit with kids what you're doing, because although little babies don't understand words, they get your message, they get the tone of voice, they get your body language, they read you anyhow. So it's good to say what's going on. You know, a baby can settle down well with a child mind and providing you've made a good choice. So learning how to choose a good person, whether it's going to be an au pair or a nanny or a childminder, you know, really look for somebody who has a warmth about them, has experience, I think, with babies, very important, and who will be consistent. What was your favourite thing about the first year? Well, because I had children very late in life, I was so thrilled. I think I just loved just sitting, holding my son and just looking at him in absolute amazement and wonderment and wondering about who is he, you know, what's his life, just spending time with him, playing with him, and just being there. I totally loved it. And I think because I had put it off for so long, it just seemed magical. And the same with my second son. I just thought, wow, this is amazing. This is really amazing. And somehow the babies were very easy. My babies were very easy. They were great. Yeah, just the connection, the depth of connection. I was walking down the street one day and I think uh, my eldest son, Max, was about uh, three weeks old and he was in a sling on my front 
And I suddenly had this sort of wave of suddenly understanding why parents do so much for their children. So I didn't have a very easy early life and I didn't have much connection at all with any parent. But I got this wave and I said, ah, that's why people do so much for their kids. You know, you die for them. It's amazing. The connection can be so strong, but it isn't just necessarily going to be, but it can be. For most cases, it is. It does make me feel gooey inside and want a baby. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I've really enjoyed this episode. We could talk about this for hours. Thank you, Kitty, for your insights. You're so welcome. I've enjoyed talking about it too. (laughs) Well, I don't know about you listeners, but I sure am grateful for Kitty's wisdom. It certainly provides a more realistic picture of bringing a child into the world. And having these conversations before I go about getting pregnant is, well, let's just say it's very valuable. I hope you're getting as much out of this series as I am. Coming up in episode six, we talk toddlers, their brain development, effective communication, narcissism, and the hot topic of screen time. 